Kathy Pilecki, a physics professor at the University of Texas, wrote a book about the physics of NASCAR racing. Now, I'm sure that's a good read. <laughs> well, maybe for some of you it is. I'm sorry. Some got a little offended there. But anyway, as part of her research for the book, she was given the opportunity to drive a NASCAR racer on the 1.5-mile track of the Texas Motor Speedway. Now we're talking. Now I'm excited about that. And with an instructor in the passenger seat, she drove the car at speeds up to 150 miles per hour. It was while accelerating to get up to that speed that she learned an interesting lesson about race cars. She writes, We trundled down pit road, pit road, and when the instructor motioned, I pressed the clutch, shifted into third, then released the clutch and stepped on the gas. A NASCAR engine is optimized for speed, so when you're puttering along at 100 miles per hour, it chugs uncomfortably. The solution is to go faster. So that you get the picture, Deandra Pilecki, the researcher, is driving the car at 100 miles per hour, but the car is chugging roughly like a locomotive. What's the matter with this car? Well, it doesn't feel like it's designed for speed because it can't even go 100 miles per hour without running roughly. But that's just it. The car is designed for higher speed. And so the solution to a chugging race car is not to slow down, but to go faster. I mean, this baby's designed to blister the asphalt. The point Things run best when used as they were designed. Christian, you were designed to live fully for God. If you live halfway for God, you just might feel like you're driving a race car with a chugging engine. You just know something isn't right. Believer, God never intended to save you so that you can stay right where you're at. We were meant to thrive and to grow. We run best when we live out our faith as God designed. Are you just kind of dragging along in your walk with the Lord? You kind of chugging along? Or are you growing in a vibrant relationship with Christ. The direction for this morning is quite simple. It is a call to continue. It is a call to continue in what has begun in your life. Our fourth of seven values is that we value spiritual growth. You should see it on the slide here. We value a vibrant, growing relationship with our Savior. We value a vibrant, growing relationship with our Savior. And you might quickly reply, well, of course we do. Isn't that rather obvious? Well, as I said at the outset of this sermon series on values-driven living, the identification of these values is nothing profound, nor did it require special insight to recognize them. 
But each one is worthy to mention and keep before us so that we remain focused on the very things that ought to drive us to do what we do and not to do as a church and individuals who make up the church. So it's absolutely critical that as we seek to carry out the mission of the church as to why we exist to glorify God, And to what we are to be about doing, the making of disciples, that we have these values to keep us on the right road. We must keep our eyes on forever. You know, there's there's so many roads offered to us on our spiritual journey that it becomes quite confusing at times. And it becomes quite easy to get off track, off the main road. Well, this particular value here this morning speaks to the matters of the soul. We sometimes can get a false sense that we're doing better than we really are doing. And so we want to speak this morning, this value speaks to the matters of the soul. And it is at odds, by the way, this value here is at odds with what we often value as a measure of our spirituality, busyness. Busyness, it's a badge of honor for Christians. We seem to equate that with our spirituality. A missionary was in the upper Amazon jungle. And as is typical so often of, of Western mindset missionaries and Western Christians, is this, his intense pace was too much for these laid-back natives. In his zeal to reach more and more tribes, he was just pushing these natives beyond what they could sustain. For two days straight, he drove these natives through the upper Amazon jungle in such a fury. They would sleep for a few hours, and on the third morning, this missionary awoke to not one native moving. None. And he barked out, we've got to go, we have to move, get up, we're on our way. They never budged. He went to the chief of the tribe and he said, Chief, you have to do something. We have to get them moving. And the chief, in his simple way, said to the missionary, My friend, they are simply waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. (laughs) Our bodies are here this morning. I can see those. But have our souls caught up with our bodies? Have our souls caught up with our bodies? How is your soul this morning? Be honest, how is it? I'm not asking, how busy are you even doing the things of the Lord? Are you taking care of your soul? Are you growing and continuing in him? We value a vibrant, growing relationship with our Savior. Yes, this value might be very obvious, but is it happening in our lives? The passage we're looking at this morning is found in Colossians chapter 2. You can turn there if you want, Colossians chapter 2. It's on page 834 if you're using the Red Pew Bibles. It's on page 1309 if you're using... The Bible I'm using, that's not going to help you at all. Sorry, just felt like going there. Not to confuse you, so on page 834, if you're using the Red Pew Bibles. Colossians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 
get the Thessalonians and Timothy, you've gone too far, come back. Now, there are two verses here that we're going to be focusing on. I read them at the beginning of of our worship this morning. You'll find them in in verses 6 and 7 of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. You can follow along as I read. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, I need to speak to the context of these two verses before we look at them in greater detail. Paul, the writer of this letter, is writing to the church in Colossae to address the influence of false teachers in their midst. These false teachers were teaching that these believers needed more than they had. That there was so much more for them to experience than what they were experiencing. These false teachers laid claim on a deeper, higher level of spirituality that could not be achieved in Christ alone. They had to go outside of Christ in order to get this. Now, if we were making our way through the book of Colossians in its entirety, we would see that the overall theme is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. You see, the best defense against false teaching is a thoroughly biblical Christology. And Paul goes to great lengths in his book to show the supremacy of Christ. I'm setting the background here before we dig into these two verses. But look back with me at chapter 1, verse 15. I want to show you a sample of the sufficiency of Christ here that Paul speaks about. In chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, that meaning Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Paul's point, Christ is first in all things. Christ is first in all things. That's what Paul's been saying up to these verses we're looking at this morning. And that's why he begins in chapter 2, verse 6, with the words, so then, or therefore. Since Paul spent time prior to these verses to remind these believers who Jesus is, his preeminence, he now calls them to continue to walk in him. Paul seems to be saying here, since Christ is first in all things. He must be first in how we live. And two verses, it succinctly captures our value statement. We value a vibrant, growing relationship with our Savior. We have summed up for us in these two verses the nature of our spiritual walk. Two verses. It's more than this, but it's at least this. In order to live as we were designed to live as believers, Paul reminds them of their past realities and then directs them to their present activities. That's really 
uh, serves the, the purpose of, of, of our outline this morning. God remi- uh, Paul reminds them of their past activities, and then he directs them to their present uh, past realities, and then directs them to their present activities. So first of all, their past realities. Their past realities. Paul reminds them of what they have received, and he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Now, when we see the word received, we immediately think about that time when we received Christ into our lives, when we received his offer of salvation, the the free gift of eternal life. It is that, but it's even more than that, that time in which we might have prayed the, the sinner's prayer. The word received speaks to the reception of the apostolic teachings about the life, work, and significance of Jesus. These are the teachings which are now known for us in the New Testament. So they received that. They received what they knew and understood about Jesus Christ. Well, how did we receive Christ? Well, when the the truth of of who Jesus is and and what Jesus uh, did was accepted as true. When you receive Christ... You did not understand everything about who Jesus is, but your story of when you came to Christ included an awareness of your sin and your inability to save yourself. It involved an understanding at a minimal that Jesus was your only hope, that he was the Christ, the one sent by God the Father, and he is Lord. And that time when you understood that on some level, that marked the beginning of your Christian life. Now, I need to pause here just for a moment and not assume too much. I ask you, is the receiving of Jesus Christ into your life a past reality? Can you point, is it a past reality? In other words, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with him? I'm not asking you if you had some emotional surge at some point as you went forward or raised your hand or filled out some card. I'm asking you, was there a time in your life when you understood at a minimum, I am a sinner who needs a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior? He took my place on the cross. See, it really comes down to either you're trusting in yourself to save you or you're trusting in Jesus. There's no middle ground here. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this reality your reality? If so, then what we have received about Christ at our first stage of coming to Christ should not be forgotten. If we are to continue in him, as verse 6 goes on to say, then we must remember our past realities. We should, not be, we should not be abandoned. It should not be abandoned for something more or something else or something better. This is the very issue Paul was addressing. Look with me at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2. It's important for us to see this. In verse 9, He says, for in Christ. Now, please note that phrase, in Christ. It is placed first in the sentence for emphasis, and it speaks to what can be said of all believers. You are in Christ. And by being in Christ, what have you been given? Well, the verse goes on to say, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given, get this, fullness in Christ. 
What have you been given, believer? Fullness in Christ. Let that sink in. Fullness in Christ. To what extent do we believe this? Believer, you are complete in Christ. He is the fullness to fill our emptiness. And to possess Christ is to possess every spiritual resource. Why is this so important for us to grasp as we consider the call to continue and the need to grow? A story is told about William Randolph Hearst, the late newspaper publisher. Hearst invested a fortune in collecting great works of art. Well, one day he read about some valuable pieces of art and he decided that he must add them to his collection. He had to have those. And so he sent his agent abroad to locate and purchase these pieces of art. And this agent, I mean, he looked and he looked and he looked on Hearst's behalf and he couldn't find them anywhere. And he said, go find them. I need to have them. After several months, the agent returned and he reported to Hearst that the items had at last been found. Do you know where the agent found them? They were stored in Hearst's own warehouse. He already had them. Hearst had purchased them years before. He was searching for something he had already possessed. How many Christians today are looking for something that they already have? How many search and search and search for something to add to their lives, thinking it will be the very thing that kickstarts their Christianity, that gets them off the ground, that will change them forever. And they go, this is it. This will change your life. And they tell you how much it is. This is it. This is it. You should got to read this. You got to do this. This is it. And they go, no, that's not it. This is it over here. This is it. You need to do it. It will change your life. It's changing mine. No, that isn't it. This is it. Right? They put it in your face, say, this will change you. Paul's word to fad chasers is if it's true that we are complete in Christ, then we do not need to keep searching for something else. Why is it that Christians want something extra biblical or unbiblical? It comes from the hunger in our hearts. Now, the hunger itself is not wrong. It is to be, as we sang earlier, hungry I come to you for I know you satisfy. But when that hunger takes us away from Christ, we're going to be wobbly, shaky Christians. You know, there's a lot of wobbly Christians out there. We are in need today of a renewed appreciation of what it means to be complete in Christ. There's to be a connection between how we receive Christ and how we're now to walk in Christ. There's to be a striking resemblance of how you live each day to the day you received Christ. Because receiving Christ, loved ones, is not the end. It's the beginning of life. All progress in the Christian life is on the basis of correct beginnings. So we need to remember our past realities. And Paul then builds on that by directing them to their present activities. 
their present activities. Just as you received Christ Jesus, Lord, he says in verse 6, continue to live in him. Receiving Christ is not the end, but the beginning of life. And this is exactly why we need to identify spiritual growth as one of our values. Because coming to faith in Christ should not be viewed as, okay, I have salvation and now I can just sit here and observe Christianity and simply coast my way into heaven. I have what I need. This is all I need. I'm good to go. I'll coast. Where'd we ever get such an idea? Not from the Bible. It isn't New Testament teaching at all. I remind you of our mission. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. The mandate for every believer is not merely make converts. It's not to make church members. It's not to gather as many people as possible to join our club. It's to make disciples. A disciple, for one, is growing. He's continuing to live in Christ. Non-growing Christian is an oxymoron. It's a contradictory of terms. How are we to live in him? What does it look like to continue? Well, Paul here mixes his metaphors to drive home his point as to how they are to live, how they are to continue, how they're to grow in their spiritual life. And he first reaches to the horticulture to illustrate the importance of our roots. And he says in verse 7, rooted, rooted, or better translated, really, being rooted, The tense of this participle in the original speaks to a completed act in the past that has continuing results in the present. We ought to continually walk in our new birth realities. Now, think of rooted as an an organic union placed in the soil of Jesus Christ. As we progress in our faith, we are in no need of being transplanted to another soil. Don't change the soil. Grow your roots in him. And the more each step is characterized as drawing upon Jesus Christ as the source, the more firmly rooted we become. And those strong roots, they protect us from the prevailing winds of persuasion and all the ideas that are out there. They protect us from being like tumbleweeds blown every which way. A vibrant Growing relationship with our Savior protects us from falling for the latest teaching out there that tickles our ears. We need strong roots. One thing that must be said of roots is that it takes time. Amy Carmichael once penned these thoughts. She said, sometimes we read the words of those who have been more than conquerors and we feel almost despondent. I feel that I shall never be like that. But they won, these conquerors, they won through step by step, by little bits of wills, little denials of self, little inward victories, by faithfulness and very little things. They became what they are. No one sees those little hidden steps. They only see the accomplishment. But even so, those small steps were taken. There's no sudden triumph, no sudden spiritual maturity. That is the work of the moment. In other words, in other words, you can't go to a weekend conference and grow roots in three days. Okay, you can't. Yet in a day in which poor impulse control rules, 
We want the benefits without the hard work, the gain without the pain. We want to take this diet pill and magically lose 50 pounds while eating cupcakes. How's that working? And so Americans are suckers for books like, these are actual books, Look Younger, Live Longer, and Three Easy Steps. It sells. The Four-Hour Chef. Yep, that's what I want, four hours. I want to pull it all together. How to Become a Millionaire in Three Years. Learn a Language in Ten Days. Yeah, that's what I want. I don't want longer than ten. It'd be too hard. Three easy steps to breaking a bad habit. Here's another one. Make people like you in 90 seconds. Now, you might want to pick that one up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm teasing. You can give that one back to me. After that comment, I'm going to definitely need it. Make a difference in under a minute is another title of a book. Christians have joined ranks with such marketing, and we see things like easy steps to grow closer to God today. Easy steps. Miraculous growth and three easy steps, a book said. Five simple steps to help bring your family closer to God and to each other. Oh, bring it on. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Give it to me really fast. And many have succumbed to some easy way to become mature. Loved ones, that is the furthest from the truth. In the last day's newsletter, Leonard Ravenhill tells about a group of tourists visiting a picturesque village who walked by a, a, an old man sitting beside a fence. In a rather patronizing way, one of the tourists asked this man, were any great men born in this village? And the old man replied, nope, only babies. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's a great answer. A frivolous question brought a profound answer. There are no instant heroes, whether in this world or in the kingdom of God. Growth takes time. Notice the change in metaphors to construction. Paul goes on to say here, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. But he says, built up in him. Built up suggests process. It indicates a continuous action. As my roots go down into Jesus Christ and more and more he becomes the source of all my life, then he becomes the one I build my life upon. And as I build my life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, the result is, as it says here, a strengthening or an establishing in the faith. And that means that when the storms of life hit, when things we don't understand happen, when conflict strikes, when the winds of change disrupt us, we can stand. God says when we build our lives on him according to his design, then neither internal storms nor external waves will be able to cause a collapse. That is why we must continue to build our lives on Jesus Christ. We're not to receive him as Savior and Lord and then go build somewhere else. Build on Christ. That means we got to stick to the basics. Now, it doesn't mean we don't learn anything new. Just don't try and move on from Jesus. Walk in him, not away from him. 
Are you walking in him? Or are you walking in other things? Things like like walking in your own strength. You could be walking in your performance where you find your value. You could be walking and doing and doing and doing for God because that's where you get some significance. We can walk in our routines. We can walk in our traditions. We can walk in our past successes or some method or something we hold dear. And these might be fine things, but our walking is always to be in him. We must stay close to him at all times if we ever hope to advance in our faith and avoid falling for substitutes. I might have used this illustration before, but in baseball, when a runner advances to first base, he commonly takes a few steps off the base as he waits for the next batter to hit the ball. It's common for the pitcher to throw the ball over to the first baseman to keep the runner honest, making sure his lead off the base isn't giving him a strong advantage. There are even times that that throw over to first base by the pitcher is an attempt to to tag the base runner out. You see, the further that runner is away from first base, the greater the chance of getting picked off, especially if the runner isn't paying enough attention. In the same way, the further we get away from first base, the greater the danger of getting picked off. The further we get from the essentials of our faith, our foundation, the greater we are at risk of getting picked off by some counterfeit thrown in our direction. One way we ought to protect ourselves against deception is by progressing in the faith, continuing to live on him, building our lives on him, and keep living that out and working it out in our lives. It means a steady progress of our lives one step at a time. Just as we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. I ask, are you living in Jesus Christ each day? Are you growing Are your eyes on Jesus? How do you know? How do you know you're growing? How do you know your eyes are on him? Verse 7 answers that as it ends with these words, overflowing with thankfulness. Now, at first pass, I wasn't sure how this related to the rest of what is here and our growing in him, and I was just going to kind of go, well, let's just skip this one. wonder why I wanted to skip this one. Hmm. But it has everything to do with it. How do you know if you're growing? One sure sign is your level of thankfulness. To what degree am I thankful? Is it overflowing? Or is it just kind of described as a little trickle? Spills out drops here and there. When we stop giving thanks... It's a sure sign we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. And on the other hand, abound in thanksgiving because it will keep us close to Jesus. See, we run best when we live out our faith as God designed. So keep on growing, loved ones, one step at a time. The Christian life is not meant to be the surge of this, another surge of that, but it's a steady run over the long haul. As a poster that shows a man running down a very narrow road with fields on both sides. And it shows one steep hill followed by another very steep hill. 
The caption reads, The race is not always to the swift, but to those who keep on running. The emphasis in Scripture is is not that as we come here on Sunday morning, we get our batteries charged so we can go from here and we can run for 100 yards and run out of energy. And then we come back next Sunday to get plugged in again so I can go another 100 yards. That's not the picture in Scripture. It's a cross-country race for the rest of our lives. We should not be very impressed with 100 or 200-yard surge of living out our faith, and then we just fizzle. Don't be impressed with that. In your own life or in somebody else. The call is to continue and that we leave here on Sunday morning with a greater awareness of living our days, not with a sprint here and there, but a life that's going to have steep hills. And we're going to come back next Sunday because we've fallen this past week and we've skinned our knees. We've hurt ourselves along the way. It's been a challenge. We, we're going to come back next week when there are times this past, the past week we felt like quitting. We will wonder at times if it really is worth it to just keep on running. And just when we're about to give it up, our Lord whispers, keep on running. Stay the course. Continue in me. That's what he says. David Brainerd was born in the 18th century. He was raised up by God to be a missionary to the North American Indians. And although he died at the young age of 29, he not only had affected lives in the day he lived, but still today as he passed on his writings from his diary. In 1746, as it was evident to him that the end of his life would soon come, he still longed to continue to live in and for Christ. He wanted to expend every laboring hour for God to reach the souls of Indians. He urged himself on to increasing effort, and he writes these words. He says, Having obtained help from God, I continue to this day. Oh, says Brainerd, that I might live nearer to God this year than I did the last. He says, Oh, that I may never loiter on my heavenly journey. I may never loiter on my heavenly journey. That was convicting. Are you loitering? Kind of just hanging around, dabbling in Christianity a little bit? Or are you continuing? Are we growing? Are we pursuing him? Let's pray. God, help us to stay in the race. May nothing disqualify us. As Paul said in his letter to Timothy, that we'd run well. We'd finish strong. We'd complete that which is begun in us. Because we know you're faithful and want to do that in our lives and will carry us there. And yet you call us to do our part. And not just dabbling, hanging around, living on this, this, this ticket we have to heaven, but rather to grow 
in our relationship with you, to have a vibrant, growing relationship with you. Ah, show us what that looks like in our own life as we work that out this week. For your glory, by your grace and enablement, we can do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Pursue the